0: Our Father and our God, we have come here to seek wisdom, to seek direction from you. It is written as a ministry dedicated to promoting the advancement of your gospel. The Michigan Conference and each church that we represent has the same goal and the same mission. And Lord, we're here for these few minutes together to learn how to better, how to more effectively Present your message to those around us. Lord, we need tools, we need wisdom, we need training, whatever it is, provide it for us. Bless us as we share these moments together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Well, it's a privilege for me to be here. I just arrived yesterday, so if I'm a little blurry-eyed this morning, you'll know why. Uh, we've been traveling a little bit the last week or so, and that's part of life that it is written. But uh I'm Olin Thomas, as he mentioned. I've pastored several churches here in the Michigan Conference. Then they drug me into planned giving ministry at the Michigan Conference. And after a while from there, I received a call to it as written. And God seemed to definitely indicate that's what I should do. So that's where I've been now for almost eight years. Eight years and just a few more weeks. So it's always a privilege though to come back. Michigan is really home. I was born just up the road here, up in Hope. Michigan, Edenville, Michigan, if some of you, anybody from up that way? See? Yeah, right? (laughs) This is my brother and his wife, by the way. Glad to have them here from Ohio right now. And uh, So we will have some exciting things to share with you. I have today, tomorrow, and Friday (coughs) with you at this period. So if you can put up with me, you're welcome back. We have a lot of neat stuff that will be coming up as well, even after today. So today is just sort of a excuse me, an introduction to get us started, and uh, the idea is nothing new, feel free to pick up the handout as you come in, nothing new, really what we're trying to remind ourselves of is the old principles, the old things that work. It's amazing how we come along with all this new technology and new stuff. And we end up finding sometimes it's the stuff we used to do that works. For example, our father had the old reel-to-reel tape machines. Do you remember those? Mm -hmm. Some of you younger people have never even seen them. You don't even know what I'm talking about. it's quarter-inch tape played on, they were recorded on big, uh, big wheels, big wheels, some big, some about eight inches. So you had to carry this 30 pound machine into someone's house just for audio, just so they could hear it. And then of course we came along with the Duquesne projector, you're familiar with that probably. But today it's almost more simple. People are busy, people don't have a lot of time, people just want a friend and they want to know God's word better. So you know who I am, this is Spark, this is how to do a Bible school in your church. Now, Pastor Jim called it an It Is Written Bible School. You can call it your church Bible school. The name really doesn't matter. The advantage of being connected with It Is Written is you not only get the direct interest that your church generates, but you get any interest that It Is Written generates. Now, there is a difference. And so you get access to both of those. So evangelism. What about evangelism? What do we need to know as we think about evangelism? When I say the word evangelism and we're an Adventist audience, what do you think of? Sharing the gospel. gospel. Meetings. (laughs) Meetings. That's what I expected to hear. An event, right? This fall we're going to do evangelism. And we all know what we mean. We just don't know what date it'll be, but it'll be in October, it'll be September. We're gonna do evangelism. What we wanna talk about for about 30 minutes is evangelism is really continuous. So you go home from here and you begin doing evangelism. And so we're gonna talk firstly here about the evangelism cycle This is an exciting thing, if you've never heard it before, because evangelism is not an event, and that's the problem. For so many years, we've been depending on evangelism events. We invite Pastor Bradshaw to come to the Detroit area, do an event, and so we're going to do evangelism, and we're going to reap souls, and we do, it works, but. How much more powerful would it be if we had prepared for, we had followed the cycle of evangelism and had had that series of meetings just like they used to do as reaping meetings. It's what they do in the South American countries, you know. The church members are working, doing small groups and different things, and then the evangelist comes for about 10 days and helps those people make decisions. But they've already been informed. They've already learned. They've already got friends in the church. So it's easy for them, easier I should say, for them to make that decision and come in and follow through and be part of it. So evangelism is not an event. What we want to talk about is how it's a cycle. It's something that goes on continuously. And we're going to look at some Bible, Luke 8, for that. Would someone read? You can read it right off the slide there. Luke 8, verse 4.
1: And when much people were gathered together and were come to him, out of every city, he spake by...
0: So he is Jesus, right? Jesus taught by a parable. Verse 5, someone else, please.
2: <coughs> a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it.
0: It fell upon the rock, and as soon as
2: it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture.
3: And some fell among thorns,
4: and the thorns sprang up, and it was with it and
2: choked it. And other fell on good ground, and sprang up, and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath the ears to hear,
0: let him hear. his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be?
4: And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand.
0: Now the parable is this,
3: the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, they then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should be Mm. and be saved. Mm
1: -hmm. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. These have no root, which for a while we leave, and in time of temptation fall
0: away. And that which fell among thorns are they, which when they heard, go forth, and are choked with cares and
3: riches, and mm-hmm. pleasures of this life, and bring no food of perfection. But that on the good ground are
2: they, which in it which in an honest and good heart, having heard
0: the word, keep it and bring forth fruit and So that's uh, Luke 8, 4 to 15. So what do we learn from this parable of the sower? We're all familiar with this. This is not a new story. <laughs> what are some of the things, just quickly, that a you... A lot of people are hearing the word. A lot of people are hearing something. So right. if we put it in terms of the story, what does the sower do? Sows. Plants. Seeds or plants. Yeah, he plants. And then he waits for the harvest or prepares for the harvest. Right? Some, yeah, he tried to get it in good soil. Not all seed, especially in the old days, we used to use the one where you cranked it and it just. Any farmers here? It went wherever. It went wherever. Uh, you tried, of course, to get it inside, but sometimes it went outside the fence and so it grew wherever it grew. And uh, that's what Jesus is describing here. Or the birds take some of it, move it to different places. But the point is, what did the sower go to do? Sow seed, intending for? A harvest. harvest. This wasn't for entertainment, right? Mm -hmm. So he, he did something even before he sowed the seed. What does the farmer do before he sows the seed? He cultivates. Now today, of course, they do without cultivating. There's some planting done that way. But generally, the soil is prepared. There's cultivation that takes place. The seed is sown. Then there's, again, cultivation. Maybe you do weeding. You do it in your garden, right? You you remove the weeds or you spray or whatever you do. You you hoe, yeah. You hope you have somebody else to do it. And and (laughs) And then you anticipate the harvest. And then you take care of the harvest. So that's the approach Jesus is talking about in this parable. He states here that the seed then is the word of God, right? So like the brother said, that seed is being sown a bit everywhere. Um, The sower or the farmer is the soul winner. So who's that? That's you and me. We have the word of God to share with people. However, we're comfortable with doing that and however God leads us to do that. So we need to have a plan. Just like the farmer does. It's intentional what the farmer does or the gardener. It's not by accident that they get to the harvest. They don't go out one afternoon in late July, early August and say, okay, now it's time for tomatoes. But they haven't planted any. is isn't going to work, right? But that's what we've done traditionally with evangelism. We've said, okay, we'll send out a flyer, tell people we're going to do meetings, and we expect to get a harvest. And we do because God is good, but not the harvest we might be able to get if we plant. So we've already talked about this. The traditional method when we say evangelism means a series of meetings, usually held annually, every couple years, every three years, every 10 years in some churches, every 20 years maybe in others. So it's an event though. And that's what we're trying to get rid of, is that concept of evangelism being an event. Rather, it's every day. Every Sabbath is an evangelistic event. Every meeting is an evangelistic event. Ellen White says every church board meeting should be a planning session for evangelism. Now, that's a new idea, isn't it? That's not what we spend. If you take your church board time and allocate out how much of that is spent focused on outreach or evangelism. (laughs) Somebody's saying zero, hopefully that's not typical but perhaps it is fairly typical. It's business and of course the church has to run, we understand that. But we need to move up a notch and think of evangelism as a cycle. If we're going to reap uh, I think Pastor Jim said uh, you're going to repeat the thing you just did in October of 17. Yeah. So you have now a target. If almost every church is going to be involved October of 17, I mean you can do something sooner. But if you're going to do that, now is the time to start planning, thinking, organizing and that's what we're going to talk about in these three hours we have together. The traditional method produces baptisms, doesn't it? But Somebody already said, often many of those fall away. And it's not because they weren't good people. It's not because of the evangelist. It's not any of that. It's because people remain in the church because they're connected in the church. Doctrine alone, standing alone, isn't enough to keep someone in the church, generally speaking. Unless they can tie in with somebody, unless somebody invites them home unless somebody builds a relationship with them, they're not very likely to stay. And so that's why what we're talking about now, evangelism being an everyday thing, we're always looking. Um, Last night, as I walked to my room really late, I walked by a little group of people out here in center campus, as the kids call it. As God might have had it, I don't know, I overheard this woman say, it really makes me nervous to do Bible studies. How many resonate with that? With people we're talking about, not to read your Bible. but Probably everybody. That's why we like classes like this, because we're very comfortable here. We come together and we talk about how. But the hard part is going out and doing it, right? I'm afraid are going to make a mistake. Afraid we're going to make a mistake or something. And so we're going to try and help you a little bit with that and uh, with materials that can help with that. So public evangelism works as we've traditionally done it, but let's compare now farming and evangelism for a few minutes. Ellen White, 8T, page 30, says, After sowing the seed, the husbandman or the farmer is compelled to wait for how long? Months. Months for it to germinate and develop into grain ready to be harvested. We want immediate results. Bring the evangelist, schedule the event, the end of October when the meetings are over, we'll have 10 new members. Wow, wonderful, we like that. Where the point here seems to be we need to be planting, thinking maybe it won't happen this year for that person or these people, but we're still, if we don't bring them in, we won't eventually, we have a large number who start studies, large number that become friends of ours, large number that come to events we may organize, and some of those eventually will build relationships strong enough to stay with us. But in the sowing, continuing, in, but in the sowing, but in sowing it, he is encouraged by the expectation of fruit in the future. What keeps him sowing? What keeps him motivated to continue to work? Harvest. He's planning for a harvest. He's believing the frost won't come. He's believing the terrible rain. I don't know how bad it was last night in the dorm. You don't know. He's believing the rain won't be too much to drown out the seeds. He's hoping for the harvest. And so he's motivated, the farmer is, to keep working. His labor is lightened with the hope of good returns at the time of reaping. Jesus talked about different returns, right? So we don't expect everyone who says, bring me the Bible study... We don't expect everyone to be baptized, right? We don't expect that. Back when we did call-porter work, you know, we knew that we just had to see so many people before someone's going to say yes. But if we keep seeing people, we will meet the yes, right? And the same with Bible studies and, and contacts for Bible type work. If we keep seeing people, somebody's going to say yes. In fact, Statistically, just so we're encouraging each other, of those who respond mailing in a simple card, about one out of five, we're talking about global averages, one out of five will join your family. Is that wonderful? Now, what would it be worth to find five names in your church in your town and know that one of them which may represent a whole family will ultimately be part of your church family. I mean, and how much would it be worth? How much would you have to spend? How many dollars would you want to invest to get those five names? Which leads to one new tithe payer, one more person to work in community services, one more, you, you follow what I'm saying? One more family that's... For eternity. And then for eternity. for
1: eternity. call on the other
0: well, absolutely. absolutely. You just keep, yeah, absolutely. Because mm-hmm. it may take 10 years for the harvest. I, I just visited a lady, I can't tell you too many stories, but I just visited a lady, she had some Adventist connection in her early years, and then her parents divorced, and of course that ended any of that. She married a man who knows nothing about Adventism. They moved uh, somewhere, but she said, every time as we drove to town, we drove past the Adventist church. We drove past the Adventist church. And she said, it just kept saying. Even though there, she's attending the Baptist church with her husband. She would stop and uh, with her children, she would stop and feed or play with some horses that were in a, in a yard there. And as they came out from seeing the horses, there was the Adventist church. And one Sabbath morning, she said, the Holy Spirit said, you must go. And when she came, someone spoke to her.
3: Amen,
0: Someone spoke to her. She was at, she was at the literature rack, she said. I was taking anything I could find. Someone spoke to her, the rest is history. One year, just about exactly a year, she's been re-involved with the Seventh-day Adventist Church. How long? We don't know. But if we sow the seed, if we plant the seed, there will be a harvest. So we work anticipating the return, the harvest. Doesn't matter. To us, if they decide now, right? We're just planting seed. Some will grow quickly, some will grow slowly, but we're planting seed. We're planting seed. There is nothing more precious in the sight of God than His ministers who go forth into the waste places of the earth to sow the seeds of truth, looking forward to the harvest. Don't think it means gospel ministers. This is speaking of you. You're a minister to carry the word of God to people, right? None but Christ can measure the solicitude of his servants as they seek for the lost. He imparts his spirit to them. And by their efforts, souls are led to turn from sin to righteousness. (coughs) Stories. We could tell stories. It works. God changes people's lives through this kind of simple work. So what's the farming cycle? Personal preparation, you get yourself ready, your equipment ready, right? If you're the big farmer, you have to get the tractors ready, make sure there's fuel, make sure there's fertilizer and seed and all those things. Then you prepare the soil, whatever that means, depending on what you're going to plant, how you're going to plant it. Then you actually sow the seed or plant the plants, whichever it is. Then, this thing will advance, you cultivate, of course. Then you anticipate the harvest, and you harvest, and then what? You preserve it. Exactly. And this is where we fall down sometimes. We think we saw them baptized, we helped them with the robe on and off as they're baptized, and that's it. And then three months later we say, what happened? Where'd she go? But no one called her in the meantime. No one said anything. When I was pastoring a church in Michigan, I won't say which one because some of you are from my churches, I remember visiting because I was too stupid to know who the active ones were and the inactive. You know, when I first came, I just asked for the list and I started visiting those people because I'm a literature evangelist by background. And I went and visited this man, a single man. And he was very shy, very withdrawn, uh, very connected to the church, but very distant from the church. I mean, family in the church, lots of roots in the church, lots of roots in the church. But I sat and chatted with him a little bit. I don't remember if it was the first visit or after. He said to me, for years, I had not been to that church and no one, no one, he said, ever said anything to me. No one ever came to visit me. No one ever called me. How could that happen? These are people in the church. If we can let them slip out, how are we going to bring the new ones in? You see, we've got to think in terms of evangelism is continuous, ongoing. It's a culture that we create. We don't know who's sitting right here who's discouraged. This may be their last camp meeting. But if we put our arms around them, so to speak, if we encourage them if we try to notice them, it may be enough to make the difference, to keep them going. Yes? Father Thomas, I recently
1: moved from well, from a, a small church in Las Vegas to a church in Barium Springs. I'm not going to name the church. It was, um, it was very cold. And um, my pastor in Vegas, because I would call and lament, And he said, you have to, you have to do what you have learned to do. Mm -hmm. And that is, um, can it's be to people that you meet how you are the kind of person that you are. That's right. And you have to present Jesus Christ to whoever, wherever. And so he says, just go up and greet them. And. Ask them if you can give them a Jesus hug and tell them you're new and and introduce yourself. And it wasn't long before it was contagious. You just have to swallow the fear because that's from the enemy.
0: And And some of us are more shy than others, and we all understand that. But still, we can find a way to to connect, to build bonds, to speak, to say something. Did you want to say something? Okay. Um, So... We take now the farming cycle and let's talk about the evangelistic cycle. And notice the parallels here. First, of course, we do our personal preparation. What does this mean? We need to pray, right? We need to commit our own life to God. We need to know that God is in our heart so that we have something to share with people. And, of course, we do. We do. If we have God's Word, if we have any understanding of it, we have a lot to share. We have a precious Savior and a lot to share. Then, of course, we need to have our spiritual preparedness, our physical preparedness, and then we go and sow the seed. And of course, that can be anything from tracts to Bible studies to, to books to, to whatever. And over on our, at our display, for it is written, we've got just business cards now that you can give to people as a powerful way. Take them directly to the television program, take them to the Daily Word program, whatever it is. And uh, so there are simple ways Without saying hardly anything now, you can introduce people. And it doesn't have to be the old tract or book. Sometimes people will refuse those. seems like now if you say something, well, check it out on the Internet, almost always they'll accept because that's anonymous. It's risk-free. And, you know, there's no commitment to you. They can just say, yeah, I'll do that. Whether they do or not, that's up to them. But you've sowed the seed. And then, of course, where you can, we cultivate it. And then, of course, we anticipate a harvest. We're speaking of evangelism. And then we must preserve the harvest. Continue to build that culture. So, personal preparation. Spend your time with God. Some recommended reading talking about evangelism is the book of Acts. What is the book of Acts, really? It's the Acts of the Apostles. How How the gospel spread when people were on fire for God. Amazing stuff, good stuff. Read um, the book of Acts in the Bible and the book Acts of the Apostles, they go together. And the book Evangelism. And another, of course, would be the book Christian Service. Powerful book uh, in how to work with people. Gospel workers and, of course, lots of others. But these are a few to kind of get you started. And we're going to talk a little bit tomorrow about organizing an evangelism team or is that here in a few minutes okay so this is a helpful thing too how do you prepare the soil connect with people how are some of the ways we do that Uh, you can do health seminars we do this quite well Um, stop smoking classes cooking classes you come up with it your church has lots of ideas I'm sure but things that you can do to invite people in you don't have to go to them You can do it both ways, of course, but you want to invite people in. This is one way to connect with people. And, of course, keep track of these names. Uh, They're all, anybody who comes into your, especially if you do it at the church, if they come to the church building, there's something going on, right? They were willing to go behind that Seventh-day Adventist church sign, even if they're meeting in the fellowship hall. Something's going on. So don't lose those names and contacts. Yes?
3: You can also volunteer for functions in the city. Yes. Around you. And then the people get to know you from work. Yes. And then, hey, I've got this at my
0: church. And yes. more likely to come. Absolutely. Relationships. Especially today as we're becoming more and more of a digital media society. Banks are going back to offering tellers. Why? Because people want somebody to talk to. Yes. Yeah. They want somebody to talk to. Yeah, they're tired of the the personless life. You know, Facebook is wonderful, but there's no conversation there. And, you know, I'm not against it. I'm just special church events. uh, You can always do that. And we're talking about us as lay people. What can we do? Well, we can help to encourage some of these things in our church. And don't forget that interest list, soil preparation, seed sowing. Uh, You can mail out the Bible study cards. You can arrange for media programs on your local media networks, perhaps, or ways you can advertise them. You can put a little classified ad in the paper. Go watch ItIsWritten.com. You know, it's simple. It doesn't have to be sophisticated. We always think of things that cost lots of money. Let's think of things that cost very little money, or none, maybe. Um, So, these are ideas. Social media campaign. You can do this uh, back to Facebook now. Encourage your church members to share some of these things through the social media. Works for some people. Not everybody, but some. Um, Distribute tracks, DVD cards, uh, whatever. There are lots of little things that you can do. You can leave in public places. People will find them. Uh, And again, these things now are very inexpensive. A business card type uh, thing even. So, you respond to Bible study requests. You can conduct Bible studies. And one way is to just simply take them the Bible lessons. Yes?
4: We have a booth at the fair. Mm-hmm. And that is very, very good.
0: Very, very good.
4: Because each year we have uh, we have the jar openers with our church and everything on it. And it, it goes...
0: It makes me think of um, when I was pastoring Williamston and we had uh, um, Dan Collins come and do meetings. Some of you know, remember Dan Collins? Yes. We were talking about advertising for those meetings and we were talking about the ad in the paper, you know, that we were going to do these meetings and that cost money. Don was our treasurer at the time. And I said, you know, really, I mean, is it worth the money? And he said, you missed the point. I said, what do you mean? He said, the point is, by running the ad, we're telling the neighborhood that we're alive and well, that we're doing something. Whether they come or not is secondary. I had never thought of that. Mm -hmm. Just by running the ad, you're telling the community there is a Seventh day Adventist church, number one. Number two, we're doing something. Whether you're interested or not, we're doing something, Mm -hmm. we're not dead. (laughs) We're alive. (laughs) That's valuable. Like the lady, the story of the lady I just told you. You know, every time she saw Seventh-day Adventist, it meant something to her until finally the Holy Spirit was able to take her to that next step. Uh, Health seminars, recovery (laughs) programs, the fair booth, excellent ideas. Bridge building events, concerts, health fairs, archaeology seminars, whatever you're able, teach a language course, uh, whatever you can think of just to get people in. Then the harvest, of course, we think of the evangelistic meetings. These can be two, three, four weeks long. You can preach them yourself. They don't have to be difficult. Now there are slide programs available, as he mentioned. Uh, You can adapt them, alter them. And you don't have to be, people don't expect the world, you know. Anybody can talk about what they love. And so if we love this message, it becomes pretty easy to share it. And you can do it in the church, you can do it in a hall, you can do it at home. Invite six or eight people into your home. You can just show a DVD series that Pastor Bradshaw or Boonstra or Bachelor or somebody, those are all B's, aren't they? Boonstra, Bradshaw, Bachelor, I never thought of that. <laughs>
4: never thought of that.
0: <laughs> or your local pastor or anybody. You know, you can show somebody else's DVDs, talking about the small setting particularly. Just come over and watch these DVDs with us. We've been excited to see these. Why don't you come over and watch them with us? Invite your friends. So the larger group, of course, there's something about decisions that happen in larger groups. Uh, It's hard sometimes to ask people one-on-one. You know, you can ask, but there's a certain momentum that comes with the larger group, and so you get a better decision rate. That's why over the... Centuries Is it true? Adventism over the centuries. Um, We're approaching our 200th birthday in a few more years. Um, That's why we've traditionally used the large meetings. It does bring uh, decisions in a powerful way. And then, of course, I have a a flyer here you can take with you after on closing the back door. This is really written for pastors, but it's very helpful information on things, just little things you can do to help keep people once they've made that decision and responded. Um, Of course, keeping them is very, very important. You understand if we could keep all of our young people and the people who come in, our churches wouldn't contain them, literally. We wouldn't have enough space, enough pews, enough chairs for all of those people. So this is a big factor, if we can keep people once we have them, then of course they will bring new people. And then what do we do? We repeat the cycle. So maybe you want to get together in your church and talk about this a little bit. You have the outline in front of you. And then make a yearly plan, a plan for the year. And when you complete that, of course, you just start planning for the next year. And you repeat the cycle. And God will bless your efforts. So does the farmer stop? farming after a good harvest? That's supposed to encourage him to plant again, right? right? So we can eat again. Makes me think of when I was in Madagascar. Well, I changed this, maybe I can tell you this story. Um, I asked people there how much they farmed. And they said, because the economy was very depressed and it was a very negative situation, they said, no, we, we, we farm only what we can eat. Pretty sad, huh? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's about the way we do in the church. Mm-hmm. We plan about what we can eat. In other words, I hate to say it, but there are churches that don't really want many new people to come in because it would change the culture. Mm-hmm. Would it change the culture? Yes, it would. But is that OK?
3: Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: it might on fire. Something might happen, yes. Lose control. We might lose control, and yet we've we're the ones who financed this thing. We've paid the bills so far, so why should we give that up?
4: Because our goal is the
0: heaven. Amen. Amen. Not building a, a whatever here, right? right? Listen, I want to play one every word from Elder Bradshaw. I don't know if you'll hear it. Let's try. Funerals are sad things. The funeral of a young person is very hard. One day a mother was following a funeral procession to the cemetery when Jesus approached, halted the group, and told the woman's dead son to rise up. Luke 7.15 says, And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. The funeral was cancelled. Mourning was turned to joy, tears turned to laughter, and there was an incredible reunion. Can you imagine how that woman felt to get her son back, especially as she was a widow? I know we all wish Jesus would stop a few more funeral processions, but one day, on. Jesus will return, the resurrection will take place, there'll be a great getting up morning, tears will be turned to laughter, mourning to joy, and there'll never, ever, ever be another funeral. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm John Bradshaw for It Is Written. Let's live today by every word. How many of you are familiar with every word? Yeah. Oh, Quite a few of you. Wonderful. Wonderful very uh, inexpensive for you. They're all short little clips. One minute long. Unless he gets overexcited, he says, and goes too
3: Oh, <laughs> 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 well, and one of the things that I... We list a lot of these things that sometimes we don't know how to do them, and if we know how to do them, then we don't know how to get our, our church members... Like, we can be excited about it, but you can't do... It all by yourself and you try to get the people to your church that were inspired to do it, even though you may be very enthusiastic. You can't do a health seminar by yourself. Some things you can do by yourself. And um, so I just, I mean, for me, I just go forward. If I want to follow me, you know. Yep. <laughs> but, yep. I, but I don't have the, the know how and the personality. I know how to lead and organize. But I don't know how to lead. I don't know how my area of knowing how to lead is, is, is organizing and planning is not inspiring people to go forward.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And, you know, and that's where, where I'm stuck. I These are great ideas about how to use them. Yeah.
0: That's what we're going to talk about now is evangelism teams. And we're not talking necessarily about your church leadership team. Maybe the same, may not be the same. But the idea here is if you're excited about evangelism, and like using your example, if you could find somebody who's more of a motivator, somebody who's uh, that sanguine personality that can excite people uh, to team up with you, to buy into what you want to do. So you organize it, and they go up on Sabbath morning and say, we're going to do this health event. It's going to be fantastic. And if you're not here, you're going to have missed the event of the week. So, but you need that spokesperson, and if you can find that person, and that's what we're talking about with evangelistic teams, maybe the pastor, maybe an elder, maybe a deacon, maybe, maybe a new member. Maybe a friend. Kind of a novel idea too, isn't it? Have a new member do something uh, important.
4: <laughs> and character of Jesus.
0: Reflect the character of Jesus. So evangelism is not meant to be done alone. That's why we have churches, Right? why we're formed in churches is one of us is a good speaker, one of us is a good planner, one of us is a good executor. We get it done. We don't mind the hard work as long as somebody tells us what to do. Um, So we team together and together we can do some amazing things for God. Jesus always worked with a team, didn't he? We don't really know how many disciples Jesus had. I mean, we know he had 70 that he sent out specifically. We know he had 12 that he sent out specifically. We know he had three that were his inner circle. But it's believed he had many more than that. Many more than that. And even these 12 and 70, we believe, may have, if I can say it this way, come and gone. They may not have always followed Jesus everywhere he went. They went fishing to, 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 to take care of some bread that they're some food that their families needed. And then they came back, perhaps, probably. They were self-supporting missionaries. But Jesus always had that support. If it wasn't this group, it was a different group. He always had, as a team, he worked as a team. Jesus specifically instructed the disciples when he sent them out to go two by two. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Now we've gotten away from that. Um, I told you before I was a culporter leader for a lot of years. And in practical terms, it's hard to do in the culporter work. But in this work, is it important to go two by two? Very important. important. And we're going to talk about that some more as we go along. But teams, teams, think of evangelism as a, a little group of some sort, however you form that group. The book of Acts, Paul almost always traveled with somebody. And if there was a falling out, you remember he recruited somebody new. So there was always that. And as he writes the gospel letters and as he opens them and closes them, he often refers to his companions in ministry. So there were specific people that he regarded as leaders, as, as co-workers, if you please, that associated with him. So we're trying to set the stage that, Evangelism is not so much an individual event as it is a team event, a team working together. So, Evangelism page 115, in our churches let companies be formed for what purpose? For service. Inside the church. So we're not talking about the church being formed for service, but groups within the church being formed for service. In the Lord's work there are to be no... What's an idler? One who comes to church, sits in the pew, greets everybody if they should choose to, and goes home. That's an idler by, by Jesus' definition. There are to be no idlers. Let different ones unite in labor as fishers of men. Some people like prison ministry. Uh, our father did that quite a little bit. He seemed to enjoy that. Some people like passing out tracts. That's their method. Some people like praying with people. Great. So the point is, we don't all have to do the same thing. We don't all have to wear the same coat, but we all should be less than idlers. We should be doing something for God each week. And then she says, Ellen White says in other places, then when we come to church, we'll have something to say, right? When I was praying for my neighbor or for my friend or my colleague or whatever, God did this. That's something to say, and it's something to rejoice about. Yes? We have
4: a new uh, way to reach out to the people. A lady in our church uh, has a dog, and she goes around to the nursing homes and goes around to senior citizens, and now they want her to come into the library and tell a story and bring the dog and tell stories, Bible stories. Mm -hmm. And that's a great, it's something new that's progressing. And so anybody that has an animal and... A loving animal. A loving animal, yeah.
0: So the point is, though, that's an idea. But be creative. Be creative. Maybe you guys can go and do a woodworking class in a... I mean, I don't know what you can think of. A candle making class or... But be creative. It doesn't have to be something someone else did. It doesn't have to work in the other church. It only has to work for you and yours, right? right. So if you have the idea and you have the the capacity or the facilities to do it, go for it. Yes, whatever. Let them seek to gather souls from the corruption of the world into the saving purity of Christ's love. It's amazing how happy people are when they find this message when they come from where they were to where they are. It's amazing. I just talked to a man over at the booth last night. You were there, Don, who's uh, new in this message through listening to messages through radio and television. But he's just beaming. You know, he said, I used to spend my time going and sitting in the bar and, you know, nothing else to do. Where he said, now life is just so different and so, so pleasant and so wonderful. A big man, truck driver, you know what I'm saying? Not the kind of guy you think of as God transformed his life. Amen. And he's happy and he's thrilled and he's trying to find ways to help other people. It makes a difference. We're the ones who've been around a long time that kind of sit back and say, well, you know. But to be, amen, that's why we're here, right? We're, not all of us. Let them seek to gather souls from the corruption of the world. The formation of small companies as a basis of Christian effort is a plan that has been presented before me by one, capital O, who cannot err. Isn't it amazing? Now you can go down and buy books on small groups and all of this. This council we have had since forever. But, we haven't applied it very well or very often, have we? It doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be approved by every committee in the church. Gather two or three of you together, pray, and say, God, what can we do? We three, what can we do? We want to do something for you. What can we do? Can we take the dog? Can we go to the fair? Can we, you know, whatever the idea is, it doesn't matter. It's that we do something. If there's a large number in the church... Let the members be formed into small companies to work not only for church members, but for unbelievers also. Large churches must be divided up, she's saying, into small groups. So is there a reason, a logic, an explanation, a justification for small evangelism groups in your churches? Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be top-down. It can be bottom-up. Now we want you to have, of course, your church leadership support but they don't have to be present at every meeting. They don't have to, you know, necessarily approve every step of your plan. Generally, of course, you want them to know what's going on. But you can still work with their blessing, we trust.
3: It's best to have their support because if you have a Bible question, yes. if somebody asks you a question you don't know the answer, you have to go to them to get the answer. So you want them to know what you're doing. Well,
0: they'll be happy to answer those oh, yeah, questions, right. irrespective. that. <laughs> But yeah, and financially you might need a little help from the church board or whatever. So yes, you want them on board if you possibly can. But my point is we often think that we want we want it we want trickle down. Where we're saying if we're excited and really want to do something for God, who can stop us? Amen. If it's going to work, it's almost gotta come from the bottom up. I didn't say that. We are living in the time of the Holy Spirit's power. That's what we should talk about all day. We are living in the time of the Holy Spirit's power. I believe that more now than five years ago, right? Than a year ago. We are living in a time of the Holy Spirit's power. Shall we act like it? Shall we act like it? Shall we gather, two or three of us together, and pray and say, God, help us? Help us. We're tired of being Laodicea. We're tired of doing nothing. We want to do something and find ways that we can, can move. It is seeking, the Holy Spirit then, is seeking to diffuse itself through the agency of humanity, <laughs> thus increasing its influence in the world. Is the Holy Spirit at work in this world? Is the enemy at work in this world? (laughs) But the Holy Spirit is too. And he's looking for channels, means, seeking to diffuse itself through human beings like you and me to bless people around us. Wow, what a calling. For if any man drinks of the water of life, it will be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the blessing will not be confined to himself, but it will be shared by others. My friends, if we've really accepted what Jesus has done for us, we have a lot to say, a lot to share. And we have no reason to be shy. When I was co portering it was always interesting. Of course, most of our work was with non-Adventist people, right? Mm -hmm. But the Christian people we would meet would be very, very vocal about their love for God and their faith and their church. I mean, you talk to Adventist people and they rarely talk about their church. I'm talking about outside of church, right? We're timid about talking about our church, that I went to church or, you know what I mean, our church. But the non-Adventist Christians, they seem to, everything is about their church and God and faith and prayer and yet we're shy, we're timid. Why? I don't understand that. I don't understand that. Let me tell you one little story from Cole days. I, asked, I always ask for referrals, right? You sell this lady or talk to this person, you ask them for referrals. I was in a big apartment building in New York. So I said to the lady about, to try to get a referral, I said, your neighbors here, are any of them Christian? Well, she said, the one next door I can't believe is. I said, really, why would you say that? She said, well, they've never invited me to church how about that I never thought of that if I haven't invited this person to church they wouldn't know I'm a Christian anyway so create an evangelism team with a purpose of sharing the everlasting gospel in your community what is an evangelism team how big a group (laughs) could be as few as two but maybe a dozen, not many more than that, because then it gets unwieldy, yeah. Ten ten even might be enough. So your idea is you want to work side by side. In other words, you have a similar goal. Not that you think alike necessarily, but you have a similar goal. You want to do something for God. You want to somehow uh, be a positive element in your church. You need to meet regularly, maybe after church, maybe before church in Sabbath school, whatever. Meet regularly. Uh, They have a common purpose, evangelism, blessing people. So, an evangelism team, what does it do? Yes?
2: Meet regularly. Would you say that's year-round, or is
0: is there some time that you (laughs) (laughs) should? He's putting me in a corner, I see. (laughs) We talked about evangelism being a cycle, right? Now, obviously, summertime, people are traveling, whatever more. Maybe you go every other week instead of every week. But the idea would be year-round. Because evangelism is a constant, continuous, ongoing process uh, and the, the, the issue of meeting is if we don't meet, we forget the objective, don't we? Not that we do personally, but but the, the group effort is lost. So that meeting uh, fairly regular. it doesn't have to be weekly, could be bi-weekly, but try to meet somewhat regularly, pray together. then. In like fact, we're going to talk about what... Have Absolutely. Something to report, something, to story to tell, what God has done.
1: I came in the, into the church 40 years ago. Amen. Uh, from a Sunday
4: keeping church.
1: Um, I think the reason why we are hesitant maybe to share our faith like other Christians do is because we're fearful of people finding out that we're Seventh-day Adventists. <laughs> and it's the false assumption that... We're a cult. So many believe that. Yeah. And, and so we're hesitant to share who we're Adventists, but that's the only way we can convince them we're
3: not
0: a cult is
3: by telling like them. Yeah. Yeah. And showing them our, by yeah. our actions yeah. and our
4: words. We can be proud we're Adventists.
3: Yes. We, we,
0: yeah. we have a lot going for us. If we believe
2: um, This is God's true church, which I firmly believe. I like what Doug Bashir says. He says, Why don't we brag? But I'm a seventh day Adventist.
0: That's right. So we have a lot that's right. Cry. Yes.
2: I didn't grow up an Adventist either, Either. and my parents, we lived across the street from a Seventh-day Adventist church, and my parents directly told me, stay away from that church. It's a cult. So that was in the back of my mind, all through my childhood.
0: But on the flip side, you don't remember anyone ever crossing the street to come and talk to you. No,
2: but I do remember that I used to go over and play in the parking lot. Sure. And that was, um, I got close to one of the classrooms where they were teaching an English class. Mm. And I remember going into the classroom, watching them, but no one ever said
0: Aren't we amazing aren't people?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Aren't we amazing people? But God worked, and He's you're here today, sister. Praise the Lord yeah. for that.
2: From a flyer.
0: Um, there you go. seminar flyer. We're talking about how the Holy Spirit works. Sometimes it's slow, but in spite of us. We the people, in spite of us, God works sometimes, doesn't he, in marvelous ways. Praise his name. We're so grateful. Friendship. Yes.
1: It's, it, it's humanism. We are afraid to share for being legit, the fear of being rejected. Mm-hmm. And um, people on the receiving end are afraid to reach out for fear. They will be. Rejected. It's the, it's the typical humanism, yep. and, the, and yep. the, the fear, but Satan is the one who plans that fear. Guys. That's correct. And the only way we can get rid of that fear is to read and pray and worship. That's, that's the only, and to study what Jesus' character was like. Because until we have that same characterization reproduced in us, we will continue
0: to be idols. <laughs> But isn't it interesting, and I'm going to pick on the ladies a minute now. And I don't even know if they still make and sell Tupperware.
4: No. Yes. Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And I don't know if they
0: still sell it through parties and all, but I'm just using that as an example, and most of you, I think, can identify with this. But you take a lady who gets excited about Tupperware, and she will talk to anybody and everybody about Tupperware and where her next meeting is going to be, And how there's going to be a door prize, and I mean, I don't know what all goes with it. But my point is, when you're excited about something, it's not too hard to talk about it. If I were a rich man, which I'm not, and I were to give one of you here today uh, a nice new Ford Focus. Give it to you as a gift. How many people would you tell about that gift that you received before the end of this day? No, you'd be quiet. Nobody, you wouldn't tell anybody. That's what Jesus told the guy to do, remember? He healed his eyes and he said, don't tell anybody. I don't know, I've, I've tried to figure out what Jesus was doing there, why he said that. Other than he knew he couldn't keep it back, right? You couldn't keep back the news. That crazy guy from it has written, gave me a car. A car. He gave it to me. A gift. No, nothing. I didn't do anything for it. Didn't even give him a penny. Didn't sign a paper. It's just mine. <laughs> Can't do it, so don't go telling people that. But do you follow my illustration? Yeah. When we're excited about something, when we really believe in something like that Tupperware, what we talk about. It, it isn't hard. It isn't hard. And we don't have to push it on other people. We don't
3: want to push it.
0: They're going to talk about their baseball game and their football game and their sports team and their whatever. They're not timid, right? But we're shy, and it's hard to understand why. But if we join in groups and we kneel down and we say, God, you know our shyness. You know our our hesitancy. We have a Loma Linda University and doctors going everywhere. I went to the doctor the other day and somehow, over the issue of vegetarian and whatever, he, he asked if I was an Adventist. And I said, Yes. And he said, Well, I worked at an Adventist hospital for four years in some island somewhere. I don't know where. He's not an Adventist. But I mean, he knows about us. And before the second visit, <laughs> I don't know why, the end of the visit, he said, I'd like to go on a mission trip. Can you imagine? I'm just saying, Adventists, we fear, whoever said it, that we'll be negatively known or seen, and there are places where that's true. But we're probably more positively viewed than we think, generally speaking. Ben Carson, I mean, look how far he got in the presidential thing, and I'm not being political here. I'm just saying, you might have thought, he would have been just written off because he's an Adventist, he's a wacko. No, no. We're more, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, were you gonna say something?
2: Oh, I was just had...
0: <laughs> I ran over you. <laughs> no, that's
2: okay. Um, I was just gonna share, I have, I'm a massage therapist and I just started up my business and I felt that I should pray with my clients before I began, but I was Wonderful. I was nervous. At first I was like, well, you know, some may not appreciate that, you know, maybe I shouldn't. But I went ahead and I thought the worst that they can do is say no. Say no. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you what, it has opened
0: the doors. Oh, I'm sure. It
2: has absolutely opened the doors. I had two of my clients coming to our Unlock Revelation. One has made a decision for baptism. Wonderful. The other is in the process of that, and it's just been absolutely amazing. But each time that I pray with them, God opens the opportunity, and I talk with them. I'm finding out ways that I can pray for them that the Holy Spirit can reach their heart because the more they learn to trust you the more they realize that you're connected to Jesus and that you love Jesus, it points them directly to him, not to you, but it points them to Jesus and when you're not afraid to share your faith and you stand up for what you believe in, all they see is the face of
1: Jesus. Amen.
0: How hard is it to say, I'm a Christian? Would you mind if I pray with you before?
1: Mm-hmm. It's sowing the seed.
0: And even after, I mean, just uh, whatever. I mean, at the end of a conversation. I mean, would it be hard to say that I'm a Christian and you've shared with me your family pro- a family problem? Would you mind if I prayed with you about that? Who would say no? Who would? Well, I mean. In, <laughs> Right. Right. And that's, and that's I'm
4: fine. I'm I tell i Adventist. But they're always a thing Would you please? Yes. I was in uh, an office and, uh, at work. And when I became seventh day Adventist, I was so excited. And I had a lot of employees underneath me. And I just shouted and I, I talked to them and I was so on fire. And uh, because I was the leader, you know, they listened to me. Finally, one guy come up and he said, You know, Joyce, we're tired of you uh, preaching to us. He said, We don't want to go to heaven. Would you stop?
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I guess honesty gets
4: you everywhere. After that, you know, I was a little shy about presenting.
0: But we but live it.
4: Was the sea that was fell on the rock.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
4: But when I left, when I retired, I left my Bible there. And I have been told that because I had spread the word in the shop previously and left my Bible, uh, where the warehouse that I was in charge of was reading the Bible, And a lot of them, they went into other churches, but they came to faith. um, Came to faith. Got the benefit from.
0: By the way, is the farmer responsible for the harvest? No, no. So we've got to think about that. You know, we take responsibility. You know, this person, because I talked to them, should become an Adventist. Really? really? I mean, is that a direct line? Just because he planted the seed on an acre of land, does that mean it's going to be a good harvest this year? No. No. Maybe it rains too much or there's not enough rain or freezes at the wrong time or, you know, I'm a Michigan. Yeah, whatever it is. But he tried. He did what he could. And does that discourage him? So next year he says, well, no reason to plant the field then. No harvest last year. Don't plant." No. He just do, does it again and believes that it'll, it'll support. Of course, we need to work together. We encourage one another. It's easy to get discouraged. You take one coal out of the fire, it isn't long, and it becomes black, right? Put it back, and it glows, and it burns again. So if we stay together, we encourage each other. We support each other. And, of course, accountability. <laughs> How important is this? Very important. Very important. This is what the secret is of AA, right? It's accountability. And so even here, we need accountability. I don't feel like going out and visiting that person tonight. Well, the friend says, but we told him we'd come. (laughs) We told him we'd come. We better go, right? And so we go. And after we've gone, we're thrilled we went. Because it was God's appointment. It was God's appointment.
3: Said that you don't always say that you're a 7th day Advent because she says that because she said that it will, it will create a wall and a prejudice, and and I'm not ashamed to say, and um, and when I do Bible studies, you know, they they know that I that I am that. But I think the whole big thing, the the basic line of everything is that when you start your day, that you have your relationship Absolutely. with God. Absolutely. And then he directs you. Because when I was in high school, I would go, I tried to do every, you know, go here and there and do this and that. And I'd pass out this and that, whatever. I had no, you know, sense of direction and, and, and leading and God's leading. And, you, you know, and I, I did things wrong. Right, right. But I had the heart of what to do. And now I don't, I don't to have that same burden that every person I see. I have to just go up and, and say something to them because that's not really. I'm learning that's not necessarily yeah. what yeah. God tells me. no, that's you. true. But if you are open, there's people in the store. There, I mean, everywhere I go, there's people. Even here on campus, yeah, there's yeah. people. Yeah. So I think it's just it's a matter of being open. You know, and letting God and then lead. when he leads you and says, Debbie, you need to go talk to that person. You know you need to talk to that person.
0: So what we're trying to do here today is encourage ourselves to be, to be sensitive in that way, right? Exactly. To, to be thinking in terms of what would God have me to do to help okay. somebody? Inside, outside, it doesn't matter. Um, but unless, Ellen White is very clear, and I think the Bible teaches it clear enough also, that unless we're sharing it, we, we, we somehow discontinue possessing it, if I can say it that way. Yes. And so we need to be thinking, always studying, always thinking of how can I share what would God have me to do to bless somebody, to help somebody, to point somebody to Him. And as we've said, the methods aren't necessarily all the same. I mean, We're talking here about a local church Bible school concept, which is powerful. But there are a lot of... Uh, side ways that that gets accomplished of course and of course a part of the team function is encouragement we all can use that and of course personal growth we're going to do study together we're going to review and then of course the whole aspect of service some way to reach out acts 242 they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. As the apostles studied and fellowshiped together, signs were done and wonders. God really worked in a powerful way. All who believed were together had things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The wonderful thing is that what we're talking about costs very little as far as dollars, costs very little, but it costs a lot in other ways. In other words, personal commitment and investment, and that's all right. We have that to give, right? So how do you organize an evangelistic team? Pray earnestly, as we've said, for the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's really first. Let the pastor know your intentions. I mean, do your very best, of course, to work with the church leadership team. Get some training. We're talking about some of that now. You're familiar with the evangelism training schools. It is written. has one called SALT. It's a soul winning and leadership training. It's offered at Southern Adventist University in connection with uh, It is Written. Uh, the neat thing about this for young people is they can use the credits here towards nursing or whatever their degree is. It's a neat thing, and then of course they do what they call a somersault, which is a short uh, evangelism training for in the summer, ten days, two weeks. Well, just a moment. We're getting to that.
3: The conference is having uh, Emanuel Institute. Emanuel Institute. In there, you yep. Lansing
0: Church. there you go. Yep. There you go. But here's the free one. You don't have to go to Lansing or Tennessee. It's called SALT 365. You can go to the website, SALT Evangelism, if you want to write it down. That's brand new, so write it down. It's not in your handout. SALTEvangelism.com It is written for about three months now, has been producing every week a 30-minute segment on how to do evangelism, much like we're doing here this week. And uh, so you can go there, SALTEvangelism.com. You can watch any of those programs You can take those to prayer meeting or a small group or this leadership group we're talking about and show a 30-minute program or more or less, or two of them, whatever you wish. And so there's training available. You don't have to spend any money. You don't have to go anywhere. As long as you have a connection to the Internet, you can get it right there. So get some training. But you know what I find? Most of us Adventists have had a lot of training. We love training. We love learning more of how to do. Our challenge is to get in a little group and the three or four or six or ten of us say, what are we going to do? We know what to do, but now how are we and what are we going to do in fact? And prayerfully bathe that and make those decisions. So invite fellow church members, of course, is what we're talking about getting the eight or ten or four together. Have an initial meeting with those team members. Give time to your team members to decide. You know, give them a deadline. You know, we need to know by the 1st of July we want to get started, whatever you you want to do. Uh, And then have a meeting. And then, of course, continue to meet on a regular basis, uh, weekly or at least every other week. Very, very important. And then, of course, someone from that group needs to at least keep the pastor in the loop. You know, that we're not a, a renegade group. We're not working against the church in any way. We're trying to, to help. Um, and then, of course, share experiences from the front. Find a moment. We used to have a personal ministries time, and most of our churches have kind of discontinued that. But it's a great time to talk about what God is doing as we do something for him. And, of course, you're going to enjoy amazing blessings. Where can you do these team meetings? Well, anywhere, meet in one of your homes. If you have a fellowship hall at the church, you might use that if it's available for you. Um, Preferably sit in circle rather than this type here. That way, it's less formal, you know, less focused on one person. And then, of course, once a week for about an hour. You need somebody, if possible, like we talked about, who can kind of drive that. Commune with God, you need to be enthusiastic about this. Prepare for meetings when this is up talking about the leader needs to be prepared for that weekly meeting or bi-weekly meeting. Are you going to show that little video from it is written? Are you going to, you know, study a section from Acts? What are you going to do? So you don't come and sit down and then say, well, here we are. What are we going to do now? You have some little plan, some outline in mind. Um, keep the meeting simple, have resources. Provide outreach opportunities. That's important. Here's a little schedule. It's in your handout uh, how you could organize the meeting for about an hour. Let small companies assemble together in the evening or early morning to study the Bible for themselves. What about an early morning meeting? Interesting thought, huh? Let them have a season of prayer that they may be strengthened and enlightened and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Let small companies meet together to study the Scriptures. They will lose nothing by this. Oh, interesting. But gain much. So anyway, here's how you could share the meeting. This is all in your handout. And God bless you tomorrow morning, 930. Let's pray before we go. Father God, you know our hearts. You've heard our comments here today. You know the almost frustration that some of us have as to how to move our churches forward to doing things for you. We just pray for your wisdom, your strength, your direction. Bless each one of us now as we go, in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons,